In our narrative arc through the Bible, we're now skipping several generations. We had Abram and Sarai last week, and Joseph is the great-grandson. And what a week to be reading the story of Joseph and Potiphar's unnamed wife. I will get to that, but the contemporary echoes and potential landmines in this story are many. There is so much in the story that is strikingly relevant to our current world and so much that is difficult to address or to even know how to address. This is a story, in short, of sexual assault. And so there are echoes of the Me Too movement and its corresponding, and more to the point in our gathering here, Church Too movement. Yet, the typical gender roles are reversed. A woman sexually assaults a man in this story. Which is not to say that it never happens that way, certainly not. But it is a pretty dramatic statistical minority. Also, this story includes a false accusation on the part of a woman. And now you can see why I would say, what a week! to be telling this story. And in fact, it had some preachers on a narrative lectionary thread uh, that I was reading jumping ship on this text and encouraging all other preachers to do the same. (laughs) And for pretty good reason. It is tricky to tell the story of a false accusation in this time when so many women and one woman very much in particular in our news cycle this week, are being accused of offering false testimony. To tell this story this week, I fear, and many other preachers feared, some preachers feared enough to leave it behind, risks perpetuating our chronic mistrust of women. This is precisely why women don't come forward and why sexual assault is very underreported. Do false accusations exist? Yes. Yet, a negligible number of women's accusations in situations like this prove to be false. Many more accusations are never even heard because women aren't believed due to many things, but including an overinflated fear of false accusations that we all have. It's a circular and beastly sort of situation. Also, another challenging, tricky thing in this text, I heard a good word in a forum of preachers that were preaching this text. Someone noted seeing more connections to the history of black men being lynched based on the testimony of white women than the Me Too and related Church Too movements. Here's a disturbing historical fact. White women in the United States abused their black slaves of all genders. And when they were caught, they pled having been raped or seduced by those very same slaves. And because white women were the embodiment of purity, guess who was believed? Well, they weren't just the embodiment of purity, of course, they had the power. And this story, the story in Genesis, the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife, is all about power and the abusive exercise thereof. 
and what happens when you stand up to corrupted and corrupting power. One more troubling note, if you didn't think we already had enough troubling notes. In the Genesis story itself, we are told that despite all this unfair treatment, God is with Joseph. Well, great. (laughs) But what about Dinah and Tamar just a few chapters before? Women who were raped, silenced, and then subject to even more violence. It's anecdotal, and it's probably not even fair of me to say this. But crassly speaking, when sexual assault happens to a man, God turns it into something good. And when it happens to a woman, they disappear from the story without even delayed justice. (sighs) So now with the many worms liberated from their can, see I let them all out, (laughs) wiggling all around us. I couldn't begin without at least naming some of these incredible complexities here. I do want to heed the invitation from Mennonite World Conference to honor this Sunday as Peace Sunday. And here at Seattle Mennonite, we would, of course, always say that as a just Peace Sunday with a focus on immigration. And that is not a stretch with this story. Far from it. It's just one more, in fact, of the complicated echoes that resonate almost hauntingly well in our time and our place. Joseph is displaced. He is enslaved. He is trafficked across political and cultural borders. He is a foreigner in a foreign land. And in the worship resource from the Night World Conference, Guatemalan church leader Willie Hugo Perez writes that migration is the greatest social challenge at the moment. Millions of people on the move in search of better opportunities and life experiences. Many people are forced to migrate or out of not having really a choice. Maybe they have a choice, but the choice is pretty clear. When the conditions that support life and well-being in their own countries are adverse, they leave home and families, their clan, their land behind. The causes are multiple, violence in many forms, wars, persecution, economic injustices, poverty, unemployment, natural disasters, all sorts of things. People face many hardships, abuses, and violence, and then they migrate. They face traumatic experiences sometimes, even to the point of death. So they migrate, move. And if they're fortunate enough to reach their destination, they encounter environments, languages, people, cultures that at best are very strange to them. At worst, many are not welcomed. They are punished with rejection, with hostility, with marginalization. And with, can't we all identify with this, loneliness. Would you think mere loneliness, that's the least of their... I can't imagine the sort of loneliness um, you would experience migrating to a new place that doesn't welcome you. Thinking of that true vulnerability that I explored in last week's sermon, here it is. Unelective vulnerability of the most exposing kind. And Joseph, in our story, experiences such a huge power differential with the Egyptians around him. 
His is one of the epic stories in Genesis, which is to say it is long and it is detailed enough to see him across sort of a lifespan, rising and falling and rising and falling and rising just to fall again. His rising to positions of greater power within his master's house, for example, that rising to power and his experience of freedom are always tenuous because he's an immigrant. He's a forced migrant, in fact, and so he is sincerely vulnerable. He can always be brought down again. And I was struck as I was living with this story this past week that in the first half of the story that we heard this morning, that it's completely in the passive voice regarding Joseph. Things are done to him. He is raised up. He is brought down. He is taken here. He is moved there. Things happen to him. He doesn't even get to be the subject of his own sentence. Have his own agency. And as I ponder the current immigration situation, I have to confess a struggle. The current unjust system, an increasingly unjust system, it's working just fine for me. What is my incentive to work for more justice? I don't like what's happening to immigrants and refugees and asylees in this country, but it also barely brushes up against my life in a real way. Yeah, it's distressing, but it's not disruptive in my day-to-day life. Like many of you in this room, like all of you who are not indigenous to this land, I've got my own immigration stories. Amy referenced some of hers. I'm not great about keeping the details straight on mine. My details are sort of vague of my own immigration stories, but I do know that they go back many generations. That's part of why they're vague. My immigration stories are safely generations ago history. So I have to intentionally rattle my own chains to startle myself from slumber on this, to recognize that none are free until all are free, and that many of the newest newcomers among us are far from free. I give thanks. I give thanks to those on our immigration ministry team right here at SMC who answered the call to accompany our new friend, Marta. We have those folks among us who have moved beyond being distressed about a situation that largely doesn't disrupt our lives and voluntarily welcomed the gift and the blessing of being in relationship with one for whom immigration isn't just a justice, justice issue out there but as a lived reality day in and day out. You all are an inspiration to me. I give thanks for the large network of people of faith across our city, organized by the Church Council of Greater Seattle, who are responding to the migrants in our midst as well, helping to provide safe passage, hospitality, and humanitarian aid to our beloved neighbors as they're released from immigration detention in SeaTac and in Tacoma, and supporting over a dozen asylum seekers as they journey to be reunited with their 
families and their children. I give thanks for this network of faithful folks, for the work of World Relief, which Jonathan mentioned earlier, and Caitlin, our own Caitlin, working with World Relief. We have immigration lawyers working. I give thanks for the large network of you faithful folks who are responding. I give thanks, too, for Gethsemane Lutheran Church downtown, currently offering sanctuary to Jose Robles, a 43-year-old father of three daughters. I remember when 43 sounded old. (laughs) Oh, 43-year-old father of three daughters, husband of Brenda, owner of his own painting company, 18-year resident of the United States who's been threatened with deportation. Seattle Times published an article about a month ago, and at that point he had already been in sanctuary for five and a half weeks at Gethsemane. And they reported, Jose said he misses the weekends the most, when he would spend time with his family at social gatherings. Now he feels like a caged lion pacing back and forth between the courtyard and his room, he said. I can't imagine how he's feeling yet another month into sanctuary, for which I'm sure he's Grateful, feeling like a caged lion. What I do know, what I do know is that our Joseph story, as complicated and as fraught as it is, it tells us a little something about God's heart for those who are displaced, For those who are trafficked or imprisoned, for those who are strangers in a strange land, those who are marginalized in a thousand different ways. And you think about those who are migrating and then have an intersectionality of oppressions that they have to manage and deal with. It doesn't stop with Joseph, of course. Many generations later, and we'll continue this biblical narrative arc, many generations later, the infant Jesus, as you know, and his family will also be refugees in Egypt during a time of intense persecution for the Hebrew people. And Guatemalan Mennonite leader Willy Hugo Perez writes, From then on, Migrants and foreigners of all time can identify with Jesus in order to find hope and dignity. May it be so. May we sidle up close enough to Jesus to encounter the marginalized folks that he loves. And, the flip side of that, may we sidle up close enough to the marginalized folks Jesus loves to encounter Jesus. May we work for justice and find we're all free when we are all free. May it be so.